because the present moment is really where everything good happens in our life. There's no past, there's no future. Um, there's only the present moment. So um, if you got a player in the past, meaning they're nervous because they had nervous experiences in the past, they're in the past. So bring them back to the present by have them focus. One way is to have them focus on their breath. That also gets them out of their future and thinking about the game that's about to jump off in 15, 20, 30 minutes or whatever it might be. Ebb and flow inspires persistence and determination during the rhythmical patterns of decline and regrowth in life. Each episode, I bring on an inspiring and influential voices who are here to help us stand strong and walk through the ebb moments of life and propel us to the peak of our health, physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually, so we can live our life in the flow, individually and collectively. This includes strategies, habits, routines, focus tricks, questions, and much more that we can use to live our life in the best way in order to maximize our service to others. Thanks for joining me today. I hope you're as excited for the Ebb and Flow podcast as I am, but to make sure you don't miss any episodes, subscribe now on any stream, check out YouTube, or visit SolomonEzra.com to learn more. My guest today is Coach Jake Raubach a world-renowned high-performance mindfulness coach who has consulted for the NBA, Olympics, college, European, professional, and all-American teams and players. He is the founder of the MindRide Pro program, where he helps improve players' games through training the mind. Jake's work with MindRide Pro and his online training course provides players, coaches, parents, and teams the blueprint for unlocking mindset and an athlete's true potential. SB Nation has called Jake's program the next frontier in basketball, and Fox Sports has said it's the missing link for so many has been found. <clears throat> if you're interested in training with Jake or just want to check out more about him, to go, go to his website, mindrightpro.com, or you can follow him on social media at mindrightpro or at mindright underscore pro. If you haven't yet, Please leave a review about the show and today's guest on Apple Podcasts and head over to SolomonEzra.com or follow me on Instagram at King underscore Solomon 8 and Facebook Solomon Ezra Brezen to learn more. Now on to the show with Coach Jake Raubach. I'm here today with Jake Raubach. It's a pleasure to have you on today, Jake. Solomon, thanks for having me. I'm excited for our conversation. Yeah, it's... Uh... The way I came across you um, and you're like it was via Instagram was honestly pretty uh, synchronistic itself. And we have a mutual connection with um, Tamir Goodman. And I remember I was like, I'd been interested in kind of taking all this different work uh, that held my own life and beginning to help other people with, with mindfulness and applying it to sports. And I wasn't sure if it was a real um, career path or a real um, job yet. The only other person I was familiar with that was doing something similar was um, George Mumford, because I'd read his uh, book, The Mindful Athlete, and, mm -hmm. and heard and followed his work about all the different th things he'd helped with um, the Chicago Bulls. So when I came across, um, I think it was your Instagram page first via um, to one of Tamir Goodman's posts, it was like, oh, wow, this is, this is awesome. Um, 
but I'd love to start. I'd love to hear a little bit about yourself, how you really got into uh, mindfulness and performance coaching and, you know, where the love of basketball started, where, and then the interests in mindfulness and meditation and where you began to first correlate, oh, this actually can help my performance and help other guys' performance. Yeah, so uh, I grew up in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, which is a crazy hotbed for college basketball. So that's where kind of uh, my passion for basketball uh, stems from. Um, grew up five minutes away from uh, the, the Dean E. Smith Center, where uh, Carolina plays. Um, so it was hard not to fall in love with basketball and college basketball. And uh, I actually grew up with, uh, was coached by uh, Dean Smith's son-in-law growing up when we were youngsters. So it was and there's a lot of interconnections growing up with basketball and uh, in Chapel Hill. So, um, yeah, so that, that's kind of where basketball uh, passion for that comes from. I, I played um, uh, all throughout childhood, played in college. And, and um, when I was a small child, I had a brain injury that affected me um, in many ways um, in terms of the physical and mental and emotional side. And so, I had to find ways to help myself find relief, forget about trying to perform better, or play better, or shoot free throws better. I had to find a way to feel better and survive. So <clears throat> that's where the impetus for learning about mindfulness and different types of mental performance and mental skills and holistic methods comes from is really my need to survive as a, as a youngster and, and find relief. So I've been doing this for a long time. Um, uh, for me, um, things came to a head uh, right around 15, 16 years old, where I had to really figure out um, basically the, um, uh, the symptoms and the, the, result, the aftermath of the injury. Um, it affected me all throughout childhood, but it came to a big time head. Uh, 15, 16, yeah. had stress fractures in my feet, couldn't play basketball anymore. They wouldn't heal. Um, um, it was really painful. And um, that's when I started to dive into different types of mindfulness methods. This is like 20 years ago. So it's a while ago. Um, and back then it was, um, you had your, you know, you had your George Mumford's, but you didn't have many of them. So, um, it was really, it's been an exploration of self and techniques that actually work and help people. And, and, um, from a mind body and an emotional standpoint. And, um, so that's kind of how I got into it. And from there I've been working with, um, kind of cracked my own code to healing and figure out a way to feel better and got back on the court. I was able to get back on the court in college, played and applied this work to my own game. Um, uh, and then from there, I've been working with athletes for, for about 10 years now, a little over 10 years with this work. Um, and that's kind of my story in a nutshell. How did you get in introduced, especially at such a young age, into um, mindfulness and the whole holistic kind of methods of healing? Because it doesn't, it didn't seem like at least 20 years ago, like you said, that it was very popular. Well, when you have no other, you've tried everything, <clears throat> almost so everything from the traditional side, mm -hmm. um, you're willing to do whatever it takes. Yeah. So there were books, there are, there are several books I remember reading. Um, there were, uh, one was a Sedona method, um, which is a, is a self-help method. Uh, it's a, it's a self-help mental and emotional method to release and let go of stuff that doesn't feel good essentially um that's that was one of many uh different i guess gateway books and gateway avenues for me there were also uh, different types of chiropractors and 
and holistic practitioners in my town. And I was forced to see those people because I had no other choice. Yeah. And then they had more inkling into this space than I did. And I learned from them and so on and so forth. Uh, it must have been very intense at, at such a young age, but um, I, th I think we can all see how, how wonderful it shaped you and into what you're doing and serving others now. I and appreciate that. Thank yeah. you. When it comes to having a program or creating and helping individuals or on a team basis, how, based on your own experiences and your healing, how do you really shape the uh, program for each individual and the different like players that you've helped? Um, we take, um, take into consideration the players' needs and the coaches' needs, um, potentially the medical staff's observations if there's an injury involved and we shape programs around um, how we can best move the dial for that player. Um, so there's feedback and um, uh, an information loop ideally from player to coach, to potentially medical staff to yeah. me. Um, so there's different variables, but when you break it all the way down, we want to do what's in the best interest of the player uh, to really help that player get better, to be honest mm -hmm. with you. So what goes into, um, you know, working with somebody like you're there on a sports basis, you ultimately want to help out, you know, the, the individual and the team perform better. Like I was watching a couple of the testimonials and um, was it at Temple or I think uh, at your alma mater, um, Drexel, you were helping one of the point guards. I, I was hearing one of the coach talk about, but you help them on a, you want to help ultimately their, their performance individually and for the team and so when a coach or an individual approaches you, how do you go through, okay, well, you know, let's assess you. What's the, what do you look at how, like beyond just the numbers of their game, you ask them, you know, what their, what their vision is, what their goals are, and really take that holistic approach, not just of an athletic basis, but also what, what's in their whole, whole life. Yeah, so we, uh, we want to determine where their focus is, uh, their goals, where they, what their goals are, mm -hmm. um, and how far they, they are away from attaining um, optimal focus and optimal goals. Um, those are two components that go into it. Um, when you match that up with the uh, measurables uh, on the court, then uh, there's usually interconnection. So you're looking to basically mesh out or synthesize um, uh, and find the opening or find the gap where a player's not quite um, improving in a certain mental and emotional area. Um, so you kind of combine all those. You set goals for the player. The players set goals for themselves, mm. um, along with the coach, coaches, coaching staff, depending upon the situation. And um, uh, you really look to train the mind in a way that um, that player can achieve those goals. How do you introduce the um... – mindfulness and performance and the meditation uh, I ask as I've begun helping uh, a friend who plays uh, ball and it's it, it's it doesn't seem to stick as or or grab an attention as much as like let's hey let's or, excuse me hey let's go put up 500 shots how do you introduce and actually get a player's interest into 
hey, let's sit down and meditate for uh, 20 minutes? Yeah, great question. I mean, I don't, um, when I meet someone, I, I never ever uh, propose any work straight yeah. off the bat. Or very, very, I don't say ever, but very rarely. Um, I think you need to build a relationship, at least the way it worked best for me is you got to build relationships, whether it's a player, an entrepreneur, a salesman, a coach, you got to build the relationships first. They got to know that, you know, you're a good dude and they trust you and um, you actually have value and you're, you're, you have their best interest at heart. Um, that's most important. And once you're able to do that, then, you know, the other stuff is easier to suggest that other stuff just comes in the second nature. But um, yeah, it's really all about building the relationships because if you go into any situation with something that's, even if it's um, pretty commonplace, like let's get up, you know, 500 shots. Um, if you build the relationship first, with the player, let's say, then they're going to be more apt to, to trust you and, and believe that what you're offering to them can help. So I think the first thing most importantly is build the relationship, build the trust. And from there, um, suggestions comes, come easier. I think that helps a lot. And then they're, they're definitely be more open to seeing how something could help their performance. True. Wow. So what would you say is the one of like the key parts of going through um, coaching with you or that's that's something that really kind of I want to say wakes the wakes the player up like you build a relationship now you're beginning to introduce the thing is there is there some kind of um, point that you've noticed throughout the different players or it could be unique that when we get to this point, they're like, oh, for example, maybe somebody like myself as a player, when somebody would trash talk or something, you could like, would, there would be some level of like a reaction, but then maybe throughout the meditation, you realize, oh, my thoughts create my reality, for example, you know, and whatever I think myself is very strong. So like I can push away whatever someone else is trying to throw at me. Is there any kind of realization point that seems to uh, be a current? Uh, bottom line is different for every player because every player has different buttons that need to be pushed in terms of um, kind of finding that sweet spot for um, that catalyst to really move the dial for them. Um, some, for example, some players, it's um, making a varsity team. For some players, it's earning a scholarship. For some players, it's making the NBA, right? Um, for some players, it's being the finals MVP somewhere or in the NBA or somewhere else. So um, that the motivational piece is uh, different for each person. And, and once you tap into that, there's more, uh, generally more buy-in, more traction uh, for that player to follow through on the work. Now, um, the other thing is consistency, just like anything, this is not magic and it's not rocket, not rocket science, nor is it magic, mm -hmm. but, and the, the greats of the greats in any endeavor in any craft did it 10,000, put their 10,000 hours. They put their hundred thousand hours in, like put in a lot of time. They put in a lot of consistency and a lot of diligent work. So I think it's, it's always important, um, to understand as a practitioner. And I think for people going through the work to understand that. Um, this is not magic. You need to put your work in just like you would on the court or with, uh, 
lifting weights or whatever it might be. And um, if you do that, you're giving yourself a higher probability of really being successful in a bigger time way than you probably otherwise would have been um, by not by not incorporating this piece of the personal player development 360, if that, that makes sense. Yeah. I'm curious what kind of, with the meditation and then the mindset, like what kind of key concepts are really, are you trying to really kind of plant a seed or, or help, help the player see like one of them could be going from kind of like a victim mindset or to a more of a creator mindset, like a player who's really good per se, or has a lot of potential, but blames, you know, playing time on, on a coach or some other things or, and different external uh, things. Do you, is that one of like a main concept or do you not really even deal with uh, professional players going through different, um, you know, limited mindset like that? Yeah, I think, um, I think um, different types of, Practitioners have different types of ways of describing this, of describing this, the same sorts of things. Um, um, taking your example, like a victim mindset or a, um, a limited mindset or limiting beliefs or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Um, I think the first thing that is most important is you got to be aware of that stuff. You got to be aware of the limiting beliefs. You got to be aware of the that you have, you potentially have at times or um, experience some sort of limitation. Um, that you probably are putting on yourself. You probably are putting on yourself because it's nobody else can put it on you, but you. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the first step. Um, the second step is kind of essentially it's accepting that that's how it is, how it's been. Not, not that it's the truth, but it, these are patterns that you might have that are not the truth in real life, but mm-hmm. uh, you hold them and they hold you back. Right. And the third step is the intervention to get in and start getting that stuff changed and, and, and um, moving from your example, a victim mindset or a limited mindset to an empowered mindset or to a powerful mindset or to a, you know, to an optimized mindset. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, there are different things. You're looking for, for players to make shifts. You're looking to, to just like you would on the court. You mean just, you know, throughout, through, through um, coaching primarily just skill sets, physical skill sets, you're trying to do the same thing through the mind. Um, you're trying to help a player transition from limitation to uh, no limitation as efficiently as possible. Do you think a key part of that that uh, you work with the players on is looking at their identity and what their relationship with the sport is? Because I felt um, I felt that when I got out of playing and playing uh, compet- uh, professionally competitively. Um, and really pr- began practicing more meditation, the game, I almost feel like, not in a, in a, a negative way, but for comparison reasons, what it used to be, it used to look like a, let's say a, a really cool car that you know you really want. And then perspective-wise, it, it began to, when I, after I, got really into uh, meditation and my whole perspective of, of life kind of broadened. It looked like more of like a board game and not in a negative way, but that it, it was no longer part of who I was. It became an expression 
of who I was. Like the game was not, and so that just relieved so much of pressure in performance wise because it, then it was like a, a, an art form and not just intellectually. Is that, is that something that you kind of can see and, and help, want to help the players? Yeah, I mean, I think that happens a lot with players transitioning yeah. from uh, high school to college or college to um, college to the professional ranks, especially when you're in college and you've played your whole life and you're 22, 23, and then you leave college and you're not really going to play professionally or you might get a cup of coffee overseas or you might play for six months and you're done. Um, the way your self-worth as athletes, a lot of times our self-worth, especially as younger guys and ladies, is wrapped up in our sport. Um, so when you're no longer a basketball player, you're no longer a Division One, Division Two, II, Division Three professional basketball player, that has a big-time effect on – can have a big-time effect on how you feel about yourself if you allow it. You made a good point. As you mature, ideally, you want to kind of let that go and just know it's an expression of yourself and it's not you. It's something you do and you love to do. But if you have it, you don't have it, you're going to be okay. So, um, yeah, that's a big-time thing. Um, that's also a big time thing with players that are maybe played a lot. And now they're not playing much, right? They used to be the starter. They used to be the man, quote unquote. And now they're not, they're, they're, they're not getting as many reps or volume on the court. Um, that's also identity and shades of identity that go into performance. And those are all things that um, are important to be aware of as players and as coaches and practitioners working with players, because, uh, whenever you identify with something, um, solely identify it as your self-worth, whether it's basketball or yeah. uh, your looks or wealth or you name it. I mean, eventually you're giving yourself a chance to really self-destruct if, if uh, you know, you lose all your money or you, you know, you, you get older and you, whatever, your, your looks aren't the way they used to be. Like, so if you can get to a point where you're good either way, you're good if you're the richest man in the world, if you're living on the street, if you're you know, the best basketball player in the world, if you, you stink, or if you know, nobody wants to talk to you because you don't look good, or maybe you're the most attractive person, or any range in between, then you're going to win. You're going to win at life because um, you're going to be zone. okay with wherever you sit. That's the zone. Yeah, yeah. Above, above the waters. Very true. Very true. Um, I'd love to hear a little bit about the type of um, meditation or the mind. What are the, what are the actual practical exercises? Like, are you working with the guy while he's in a workout? So like I'm putting up shots and you're like, you know, trying to get in the head or is it a more of like a coaching session and you're just talking to the guy, uh, you know, kind of like this and you're just getting to know him, building the relationship. What, what kind of goes on in that process? Well, well, it varies. Um, sometimes as a practitioner, I'm in, on a staff, so I'm embedded on a staff, and then you're there all the time. So you're doing it all, perceivably all the time to some degree, but not, you know, hard. Yeah. You're just, as a, you have a presence all the time. Um, when you're a consultant, generally you're not on the court as much. You're not in the team meetings as much. You're not around as much. So they come down to more of just, you know, coaching sessions and stuff like that. Right. Um, um, uh, for the player, it's good to have a mixture of both. I think. Um, I I think um, you know it's just like um, just like strength and conditioning or um, uh, 
watching film, let's say, you don't want, they're not, they're not, they're not different compartments in your, in your game or your life. Like everything's integrated together. So um, just because you lift weights four times a week, like that's all part of your game too. Although you might not, you're not doing it on the court. You might be stretching before the game. You might be getting that stuff in. You might be watching film a couple of days before the game or the day before the game or the day, the day of, but all that stuff goes into, into your performance. And the same thing with mental performance, everything should be integrated into the total player. I think that's really important. So it's not a standalone event. It's not a standalone um, skill or skill sets, skill sets. It, they should be integrated. And when they're integrated, um, generally the player has a chance to do better than they, they were doing. What are the, me um, the meditations like that you introduced to the players? Um, they vary. Medi there's many different meditations um, that I use. And there's many di different meditations that have been on the market for thousands of years, right? This is like a, a core, a fundamental you, pillar of, of, uh, of people, you know? Yeah, I um, guess my, my question is more like, how do you, are you, are you recording them and gearing it more towards the sports? Uh, cause the, yeah, I'm aware there's different, there's, many, many different types of med uh, meditation disciplines and practices. How do you, um, do you kind of just take one of those and then uh, like one of the key components is, is visualization. And it used to be common for just athletes. And then pe people realize like one of the main um, meditation teachers and doctors whose work I like to uh, practice is Dr. Joe Dispenza. And it's like, just like an athlete would visualize uh, a performance, you can do that with your life and you visualize and really embody a certain experience or event that you'd like to uh, experience. And so do you grab something and share it with the players that's similar to that and just have them adapt or use their athletic goals in that or is it specifically geared towards the sport uh, both 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 um there it's adaptable for the player in the sport um or it cannot be because mental performance is mental performance it's oh. although it is adaptable to the sport and to the player when you break it down it's 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 very similar across um all genres of performance so um say a player um, wants to settle before a game. They get too nervous. They get too, um, too anxious. Um, mm -hmm. Meditation, just focusing on breath is, is, is great. You're not, it's not a basketball specific or sports specific uh, meditation per se, but it's, it is a performance specific meditation. You'll, you can have the player focus uh, on their, on 10 deep breaths uh, before the game. Um, allows them to kind of, uh, first of all, refocus. It also allows their, their system to kind of relax. Um, and uh, that's a real simple meditation mm -hmm. um, that's been around for, I'm sure, thousands of years where you're just focusing on, literally just focusing on breath. And by focusing on breath, it brings you into the present moment. Because the present moment is really where everything good happens in our life. There's no past. There's no future. Um, there's only the present moment. So um, if you got a player in the past, meaning they're nervous because they had nervous experiences in the past, they're in the past. So bring them back to the present by have them focus. One way is to have them focus on their breath. That also gets them out of their future and thinking about the game that's about to jump off in 15, 20, 30 minutes or whatever it might be. 
Um, so that's just one example. I mean, it, it, it's, uh, but it all comes down to being present moment, as you know, Solomon, and, and um, it's so key. I mean, there, there have been books written about the present moment and really meditation, that's what it's about, uh, is bringing you into the present moment and mm -hmm. magical things can happen there, not only with performance, but other things in life too. So um, yeah, that's, that's kind of the gist of it. Yeah, and it's really cool. It's even, uh, they've done brain scans even on uh, brain scans, when somebody's thinking, uh, you know, in the past or in the future, the different parts of the brain light up very similar, and it's out. You can tell that the person is not very present, and it, you know, it, it took a lot of, it takes a lot of practice to really become more present. But you're right, and I was explaining this to a, a friend on a podcast, I think last week. A, a lot of us, myself included when first getting into this mindfulness, it's become so uh, popular and mainstream mm -hmm. that it's, it's, it's immediate, like, like I'll, I'll, I'll begin helping some individuals and it's like, oh, it's hard for me. I, I can't be mindful. And so it's like really, really having to clarify what is mindfulness? What is, what is being present? It's, it's not just a, a woo woo or a um, something out there. Like it really kind of, not just helps the performance on the court, but off the court. And just because, you know, I remember even hearing Kobe Bryant talk about in a, in a speech he gave to the San Diego Chargers when he was like, did you ever hear that one? I, I don't know if I have. He you have to stay in the moment as an athlete. Right? If I miss this shot here, I can't carry it over to the next shot. You know, if people don't understand that concept, you look at the game and you're saying, okay, he has no conscience. He's just gunning and shooting, shooting, shooting. No, as an athlete, if you become conscious of your struggles, you're done. You're done. You have to forget about what just happened and stay right in the moment. I don't care if I miss 10, 20, 30 in a row. I have an open shot here. It's my responsibility to shoot this shot. Right? You have to stay in the moment. I was wondering if you could speak to how, walk us through how you stay in the now. It's a, it's a process, it's a real, it's a serious process. And, uh, and uh, it's never perfect and it never will be. Uh, I can tell you when I started the process. When I started the process, I was in, uh, I was in high school, my sophomore year, in uh, class, particularly geometry, I never paid attention. It's kind of my mind would drift and I would think about other And then so we fast forward to a game, and we had a game and we had a lead, we had a one point lead, and uh, I'm thinking the game was in the back. Right? So I'm thinking about the celebration that's coming after. Right? And so the opposing team has a chance to tie. They take a shot. I can tell the shot's off. Right? So I'm following the flight of the ball. As I'm following the flight of the ball, my man cuts behind me, grabs off the rebound, puts it in, and loses it. Right? So then the next day when I'm sitting in class, my mind's wandering again, and I immediately make the connection of what's happening in this geometry class and what happened in the game. Right? Right? So I took that as an opportunity to say, okay, this is really not about geometry for me. But it's about locking in and staying present in everything I do. Because then I'm always training, always practicing, and always preparing for the game. Right? So if I can stay focused on what this teacher is saying, if I can stay focused on here and now and make that a, a, a habit, then that'll help me when I'm out there on the court. He was talking about how it, when it first really clicked with him, he was in a high school game. Uh, or it was it was a high school game day and he was in geometry class and he was just thinking about the game like he wasn't because so he wasn't present he wasn't in the class physically he was in the class but his attention was on the game mm -hmm. 
And then he talks about how then later in the game, they were about to win. But then his attention, like the, the guy, somebody shot the ball and he assumed it was going to miss. And as the ball was going past him, he didn't box out the guy he was guarding. And the guy ends up grabbing the rebound, putting it up and, and beating them. And he mm-hmm. said in that moment, he realized the importance of being present and how when he was in geometry class, for example, he, does, he shouldn't be thinking about basketball. He should be present in geometry class. And when I first heard that from him, I was like, that blows my mind because growing up as an athlete in the media, all the different things were thrown at is, you know, don't, never be satisfied or eat, drink, sleep, basketball. And so mm-hmm. I would take that like literally. So, you know, even though I did very well in classes, like, yeah, I would be thinking about the game you know, in the future or what happened in the past that it was never really present. So it, yeah, it, no, is, it is really cool how the being really just present and, you know, not thinking about something that hasn't happened yet or had happened in the past really would improve how you progress. Absolutely. Well said, well said. I mean, um, I think that's why guys like Kobe Bryant and Michael Jordan are, are who they are because they became masters of their present moment. I mean, it, I, I, I don't want to do their skills or their, uh, their gifts a, a disservice, but I think my opinion, their best, their best asset is and their best skill set is their, their ability to stay present and stay locked in and really let go of anything other than what they're focused on. Uh, um, Kobe and Michael, uh, in my humble opinion, yeah. great athletes, great skill sets, um, physical skill sets, great on-court skill sets, but and there, but there are other players that have similar skill sets or similar athleticism to them. So what set them apart? There had to be a differentiating factor, right? It's not just like, boom, you're that guy. Like maybe, but I mean, I think it still needs to be cultivated. Yeah. And I think what they did, they're the master. What the thing that they're a master of is um, being able to be locked in and, and live in their present moment, like Kobe talked about, even in geometry cl- geometry class, so that they're getting the most out of their moments of their of their of their life right so some of us are in different moments from the past and future but they're firmly in the present moment which allows them to improve faster than everybody else and leverage everything that they were given in the first place it's it's truly uh, amazing i remember watching also the um the last dance documentary and one of the guys also mentioned similar that michael's best gift or or attribute was not playing on the game but just his ability to be present yeah that's exactly that's what i was thinking about he was a writer i think of some writer he was a writer right maybe his biography writer or something like that i'm sure yeah well how when i was when i growing up playing and this is just kind of curiosity now talking um i would look at like different commentators different people would uh, would assess how kobe was just always working out like super hard, you know, the hardest worker kind of thing. But whenever I would look into him, I would realize that he's also practicing these different meditation and and other things that would improve his mindset. What do you think? But then I, I wouldn't see that really in any other players. What do you, I get, I'm just curious, like, what do you think um, it took a while for other players to kind of really get into that? or to really be open for it. Like it seemed like they were just really pioneers in, in bringing it to basketball, along with a coach, like uh, w- along with like coach Phil Jackson. 
Yeah, I think um, those guys would do whatever it took to, to get an edge. And I think they probably learned early on that they can get an edge by training their mind where others were maybe a little bit more, le- more uncomfortable around that or less willing to put themselves out there and take a risk. So that's, that's how I, that's what I would, how I kind of observe that is they're willing to do whatever it takes. And um, they were ahead of their times. So they're savants. They're, they're ahead of, they were ahead of their times. Well, Jake, it's been a truly pleasure being able to be introduced to you and now speak with you. You're doing a lot of similar work that I aspire to, to build and to, to help others in the sports realm. Uh, so thank you very much. Solomon, it's a pleasure. I'm, I'm humbled and to have a chance to speak with you. And I, I'm grateful that you, you had me on today. Thanks. Thanks for the conversation. It was fun. Yeah, for sure. My final uh, question is um, somebody, uh, a fellow athlete, um, you know, high school or college or pro uh, happens to be listening to this. What's a, um, a small little practical step, like maybe journaling or writing down something um, that you think would be excellent to, to start questioning and observing how they've been as an athlete and where they'd like to go? Well, I think you nailed it. Uh, when you write things down, it ingrains it even more for yourself. So writing down where you want to go, uh, framing it for yourself, making it as real, uh, real life, life, lifelike as possible is the first step. And then I would uh, offer to begin to observe as much as you can, especially the, the, um, the, the, the thoughts that you don't know that you have, um, because those are the thoughts that run the show, um, whether you know it or not. And uh, really the probably the only way to make big time change um, across any genre of life is to really take care and, and address those um, unseen uh, patterns. And when you can kind of conquer those and, and optimize those, then the sky is the limit. And that's where the meditation helps a lot. Absolutely. Absolutely. Jake, such a pleasure. I hope to continue uh, fostering this relationship and talk to you some more. Likewise. That was a blast, man. I appreciate that. Yeah, for sure. Thank you very much for tuning in and listening. I hope this episode brought you some really great value. If you enjoyed any of these episodes or would like to hear more, please leave me a review on Apple or Anchor podcast. I'm always looking out for topics to learn and talk about, gifts to share, and value to bring to us all. For more updates, please check out SolomonEzra.com. That's S-O-L-O-M-O-N-E-Z-R-A. That's where you can also sign up for newsletters, read about blogs, and hear my different podcasts. Take care.